The World of Dark Ages podcast presents Side Quests, tidbits and inspiration for the Dark Ages. Greetings, dear listener, and welcome to Side Quests. My name is Jacob. And I'm Peter. So, how are you doing, my man? Uh, I'm doing pretty good. The The winter that we had last time uh, we I spoke to you is actually still around. Uh, so, so we had uh, we, we've had snow for for last week or so at least, uh, and it's the proper kind of winter where where the snow actually stays on the ground and doesn't just melt away, uh, and you can go cross country skiing or uh, just enjoying the the beautiful wintry landscapes. Yeah, we are uh, looking out the window. We still have like a tiny bit of snow lying on the ground, but uh, it being Denmark, yeah, we don't really have a winter landscape for skiing or anything, which means that... Uh, you, you don't India, really have a landscape at all, do you? That, that much is true. That is that is absolutely 100% true. We don't do landscapes, um, but there's been a bunch of completely idiotic Danes who have uh, gone to Austria uh, to quote-unquote look for jobs at the ski resorts, which are all closed, and then they've uh, gone skiing and, hold, and having after-ski parties in their hotel rooms, and I just want to throw heavy stuff at them. Yeah, I, I can see why. Yeah. Anyway, um, speaking of uh, utterly evil and immoral uh, people, <laughs> today we're going a bit outside of our normal area with a review of Twists of Obscenity, Esoterica of the Bali. This is a book from Storyteller's Vault that we got a review copy of, and it's not a Dark Ages book, but rather a book for modern-day vampire. Yeah, which is really cool. So, so thank you for the author uh, for that. Uh, but Jacob, could you tell us a bit about what the Storyteller's Vault is, for those who don't know? Yes, it is a platform where uh, people can upload their own um, non-canon, non-official books for White Wolf products. So it's a third-party platform, a third-party provider. Um, basically, anyone who wants can write a book that follows the Storyteller's Vault guidelines and... Um, or you can, uh, there's actually some people who upload uh, art and, and stuff like that. But it's it's mainly books uh, as a PDF format and uh, you set your own price and then people can download it. I uh, I have a few books on there, mainly Dark Ages books, which I don't think comes as, as a surprise to anyone. Not really, no. Yeah, so so it's a cool, it's a cool thing and it shows uh, that uh, the... Not only the vampire community, but the White Wolf role-playing community is is very much alive, which I think is is really cool. It's been almost twenty years since I first got into the the whole vampire White Wolf thing, so so it's cool to see that it's still right uh, alive or undead at least and thriving. <laughs> Yeah, I can I can recommend people taking a look at the the vault. There is a surprising amount of um, free and uh, pay what you want books there, where you can get sort of an idea of what uh, um, a vault book is. And there are some really creative uh, ideas going on there. There is uh, a um, Wild West uh, vampire book. So so if you want to play vampire in the Wild West setting, there is a uh, Werewolf the Savage Age, which I think is like um, Stone Age or or prehistory uh, oh, for, cool, for yeah. werewolf. Um, 
uh, Vampire Classical Age. Uh, I'm currently uh, in the very first stages of working on um, a, uh, a vampire book that covers the Renaissance era, which is uh, going to be really interesting. So, so people are doing a lot of really cool stuff with the um, uh, with the product and uh, and writing some uh, some what I think is is really interesting books. So definitely, just you know. Type in Storytellers Vault. Take a look at what's there. If you uh, if you just want to see what it looks like to have a book from there, uh, look for for books that are free or pay what you want. Because uh, I I have a few there, and I know a lot of others put out uh, either free or very very cheap books just to give people an idea of how their writing style is, so so they can they can see if they want their books. Yeah, excellent. So should should we um, jump into the actual yeah review? Um, let's do it. This book's book um twists of obscenity esoterica of the bali it comes in at 178 pages which is larger than average for the vault and the price is 12.99 um and that's for a pdf copy they don't have any print on demand um now i'm not going to go into the whole pricing structure but i'll say that 12.99 for 178 pages already there you have fairly good value for money now as the name says this is a barley book and we recently took a look at clan book barley so looking at this is quite appropriate it is however not a modern day clan book um how would you describe this book i think the the title of it the esoteric of the barley is is actually quite fitting because you you have uh, a bunch i wouldn't say a, a alternative history to it but you, you have a bit on on the background uh, on why the barley are the way they are and then you get uh, some bloodlines and some some special powers uh, and then a few example characters uh, to to go around to kind of illustrate how how barley uh, I'm, I'm not going to say should be but but can be uh, and if nothing else you can just use them as as npcs uh, to uh, enhance your your campaign or chronicle yeah uh, although it's not noted it's quite clear that this book is set up so that you can use it if you're going to uh, play a Bali or if you're going to run a campaign where one, one or more uh, players play Bali and uh, it builds quite clearly on clan book Bali we've recently uh, read and and looked at that for dark ages and and you can see in this book that that they took what uh, what that book presented and then they built onto that yeah all right so the book is written and produced by clinton j boomer who is uh the man quite um uh, nicely provided us with this book and joe weinberg and it's, it is produced by high level games which is an indie producer they have products both on the Storytellers Vault, but also on, um, what's it called? Dungeon Master Guild, I think, which is the same kind of thing just for 5th um, for edition. Yeah, yeah uh, as well as in a few other systems. Uh, as always, let's start at the beginning with the cover picture. Uh, what did you think of it? Uh, I, I think it's it's quite cool. Uh, the, the entire cover has that traditional uh, vampire kind of green marble background and, and then the uh, the title in red and and you have uh, what is obviously uh, a Bali um, a female uh, female uh, coding character uh, <laughs> fittingly enough wearing quite a warm uh, hat or, or cap <laughs> and uh, and some kind of scarf and and in the background you have 
uh, all these uh, just basically shapes with with red eyes uh, and and the woman as well also having red eyes staring into the distance uh, so uh, it's yeah, it it looks sufficiently uh, vicious, so to speak. Yeah, I really liked it as well. Um, it's quite clearly an original piece. It's not something taken from an art pack, and that's always a thing when you're making a book for the for the vault. Do you commission someone to make you an original piece for the cover? Or do you go with uh, a stock piece? Um, because if you're going to get someone to paint uh, or draw the cover for you, you're going to have to pay them. Uh, so you have to balance how much can I make on this book? Can I? Is, is it worth it? Um, for the interior art, it's a mix of stock vampire art from the various art packs that are available in the vault and original art. Uh, and I think it all fits very well and sets the mood. There are no transgressional pieces like in Clan Book Bali, uh, which would push this into block Black Dog territory. Um, there's no weapons or armor for me to speak of, so I'll <laughs> hand it over to you uh, to see if there's any hats. Uh, yeah, there, there are a few hats, but as we mentioned, this is mostly for, for the modern era, so, so everything is... Uh, quite modern. Uh, what, what I do like is that one of the, the first uh, pictures is, uh, I'm, I'm assuming it's supposed to be, depict basically demons walking the earth, and, and one of them is, or there are humans that have demonic features. One has a long scorpion tail, one has uh, bat-like wings, and, and then there's uh, one guy on on fire just calmly walking down the street and and it reminds me is it is it a pink floyd album where where you basically have just two people standing around on fire uh and oh it, yeah that one i can't remember yeah, it might be, yeah. I, I think it's it's pink floyd or possibly the who uh and and what i think is funny is just how how morals have changed because uh that album cover was um actually uh it, it, it was banned or at least censored because of the, the graphic depiction of violence <laughs> of, of two people standing or, or two drawn cartoon people standing around being on fire. So I, I think the artist who made this uh, was a bit inspired by that one. So, uh, But yeah, overall, uh, like you mentioned, some of it uh, is um, uh, stuck, basically stuck White Wolf for Vampire. Uh, artwork which works fine in this setting you you have the especially when you come down to the npc section you you have kind of uh, the, the every every classical um stereotype like from the the uh, leather clad dominatrix to the, to the <laughs> punks and the, the uh, creepy people in in business suits and everything like that so so yeah the, the artwork has been uh, chosen wisely and and fittingly for uh, for a, uh, including uh, on on page uh, 174, you have someone who is quite obviously Christopher Walken, uh, which is kind of fun. Hang on, one one seven. Oh, that's a bit. Yeah, I only as as I only have it on PDF. It's quite uh, difficult to scroll through quickly, so I'll just take your word for it. Yeah, so I have we, to check we'll that out that picture it, later. So, so but yeah. the readers can can look out for it if you get. It. Yeah. Um, I'm thinking some people might actually be a bit disappointed at the lack of, of nudity or disturbing pictures, but I, I have to say, you know, I don't think that is necessarily needed in order to um, to create the atmosphere that you're looking for in a Bali book. Uh, it can add to the atmosphere, but I think that the writing in this book 
is is at a level where you don't really need to add any kind of transgressional imagery in order to get across what you're what you're doing. So I'm quite fine with this not being a black dog book and and them not including any sort of of um, especially uh, aggressive imagery. Yeah, I, I agree with that. So, uh, when it comes to editing, that's not something we normally talk about, but, you know, this is a third-party uh, book, and I'm thinking, you know, people might might wonder uh, if it's not uh, a, a quote-unquote professional book, though Though this uh, is, uh, it has gone through a... Um, um, a, a publisher. Um, what what's what's editing like? Uh, and I think it's pretty okay. There are one or two typos that I found, but hey, I have uh, a feeling that my Storytellers Vault book books contain uh, a few typos as well. Uh, and you know, sometimes you find typos in official books as well. Uh, there are a couple of formatting errors, but nothing that in any way detracts from the enjoyment or readability of the book. Uh, as for the writing. Once again, people might wonder, okay, uh, you know, these aren't uh, aren't hired writers, so what what quality can we expect since this isn't an official publication? And in this case, I don't think anyone has to worry. I think this book is overall very well written, clear, concise, and in an engaging manner. Uh, but what did you think? Yeah, I, I agree with that. There there were some some interesting typos and and the. It might have needed a bit more proofreading, but as you mentioned, there's there are no glaring omissions or, or errors that. I didn't find about. any page XX. Beg your pardon. I didn't find any page XX. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, so, uh, but but yeah, there there are there are a few kind of um, obvious mistakes that that are obvious mistakes and and. Uh, again, it's it's bound to happen uh, if if anyone like like you mentioned as well if if um, if anyone goes and and reads what they have written in in any time then then you will find weird stuff in it so uh, so I I don't see I don't see any problems with it uh, like that um, I I do have some other points that I will bring up uh, as we go along and perhaps in the end but uh, yeah let's uh, let's start at the beginning and, and work our way through yeah um, when it comes to to the sort of overall uh, um, writing layout of the book there are a few choices that I personally do not agree with and one of them is the tendency to use ampersand in most places instead of writing and not all places but in a lot more places that I would have used it and it took me some time to get used to that. Um, I don't know why that, that choice was made. Um, the book changes between two columns and no columns from from time to time, uh, which uh, it, it's a look that I don't personally like, but, uh, you know, it's not, not something that ruins anything for me. And finally, I think they went a bit overboard with sidebars, especially mm. have a lot of big one-page or nearly one-page sidebars. But again... This is a personal opinion for me, and it's not something that is going to ruin uh, the enjoyment of the book for me. It's just some some things that I want to point out that that I personally um, did not like. Yeah, you, you uh, yeah, I don't know if you did it on purpose. You mind reading Danish Boston, but, <laughs> uh, but yeah, you, you touched on on some of the things that I was going to to bring up. And and like oh sorry, about that. oh no, no worries. Uh, like like you mentioned, that some of the sidebars are are quite long. Uh, and there are also some some paragraphs and and some of the the, the fluff the the kind of history story uh, bits that kind of goes on for for a bit too long. They, they could have probably 
it wouldn't have hurt if you you would have added them down a bit uh, but uh, for and and for example you you have uh, when we come to the to the discipline powers you you have uh, a level 1 discipline that has basically i think it's almost a, a two page um uh, uh, sidebar kind of discussing that that particular not the entire discipline but just that one uh, level one power of that um, <laughs> it, it might just be one page but still it's it's quite a lot for for just one uh, for one level one power it's a cool level one power but i don't know if if you would need that much space discussing it so to speak Mm. Uh, we can talk about that more when we get to yeah. uh, to the disciplines. Um, so we uh, start uh, not so much with an intro story as an intro introduction uh, by, I assume, a Bali who's giving us their take on the creation of the universe and the reality of the universe. Uh, we also have a lexicon. We get, once again, an in-person analysis of the biblical flood that... I found very cool, interesting, and engaging, and a bit about demons and where God is and in all of this. I thought this intro was a little bit messy in how it was structured. I would have preferred the lexicon at the end rather than the middle, although it's it's really good to have the lexicon because they introduce some new things and there are things that people might not remember from, from other uh, books about the Bali. So the lexicon itself is really good. Just I, th I think they should have moved it. Uh, but I think that this intro sets the tone quite well for the rest of the book. And um, so what what did you think about the intro? Yeah, I uh, I agree with, with the things you said. Uh, I, the, the intro, I'm, I'm just going to read the first sentence uh, because it, it kind of sets the tone. And it's, in the beginning, they say, there was God, the ultimate asshole. Uh, and w which is quite a fitting introduction for for a ball, and it it uses the word asshole uh, and uh, other swears quite a lot, which I I don't really see a problem in in general. If if you actually hear me speak and not recording podcasts, then then you would know that I'm I'm a big fan of swearing and curse words. Uh, God damn it! But, <laughs> Same but yeah, here. The, the kind of. I, I'm, I'm not going to, to call it a, a problem for the entire, but, but the issue that I have with, with the writing, and as you said, it's it's a bit messy, but also that it's, um, yeah, you, the, the author obviously wants to, to depict the Bali as, as having a complete lack of respect for, for anything religious and, and holy and, and God itself. Uh, so there is a lot of, of insulting it and... and uh, and I see where, where what they're going for, but it kind of comes off a bit. I, I wouldn't. Say, I, I don't want to use the word edge lordy, but it's it's a bit like uh, um, I'm a getting teenage a bit punk. Yeah, trying to to rebel against the internet, and that can work. And especially if you like that kind of of style, it can be really uh, it can be really good and, and really entertaining. Uh, and in this particular example, it usually is, but at some point, it it kind of goes on a bit too far, which I know is ironic for me because I can also <laughs> also ramble on for quite a bit. Uh, but this is what I meant where, when I said that it could use a bit of, of editing and just cutting a bit of it down and um, focus a bit more on quality rather than quantity. Uh, but the actual story being told to us 
uh, I, I really liked, uh, like you mentioned, the, uh, the discussion of the deluge uh, and, and everything about it. Um, in, in that story, by the way, is, is where one of the uh, weird uh, typos comes along, because at first they talk about um, the world being covered in, uh, in eight uh, kilometers of water, and then it all of a sudden says 8,000 kilometers of water. And I don't know if, <laughs> if they just meant or it's supposed to write meters instead of kilometer or something. Uh, but, but yeah, o- overall, uh, the, what they're actually talking about is, uh, is really interesting. Uh, there is a bit of a focus on, on kind of like the weird physics of how much water there would be under the, or during the deluge and, and a lot of like physics and, and numbers being thrown around. Uh, and I, I don't know if it's me not getting the point or uh, if, if there's a point I'm, I'm missing, but it's, it's, it's a bit weird mixing these kind of fantastical, mythological story being told and then just talking, talking real-world physics. Uh, well, uh, I recently uh, listened on um, uh, an audio tape of, of, on a book by Neil deGrasse Tyson and another guy whose name escapes me uh, on on things like cosmology and uh, history of the universe and things like that. And I got a kind of similar vibe from this, uh, a, a, a scientific explanation of something that is uh, very much outside of what we would normally be able to imagine. So one of the reasons that I really liked it is because it gave us the scientific explanation of if the flood was to happen, and it was to happen within the understood physics of our reality, this is what it would be like, and it would be completely and utterly insane. Um, like they say, it, it would break continents. Um, so for me, it it, it resonated with this... Uh, um, not quite pop physics, but, you know, pop science, but but science explained where everyone can understand it book that I've just been listening to. So I think that was one of the reasons why I, I thought this uh, section was really, yeah. really cool. Yeah, okay, yeah, I, I can dig that. It's it's just, for me, it was a bit too much of, of the maths mm, and, and yeah. physics and stuff like that. And and again, it's it doesn't necessarily have to be a bad thing, and if you like it, because I'm also a, a big fan of, of pop science and stuff like that. It, it can be really fun, but again, I think it just might be you could have scaled it back just just a little bit or, or edited it uh, a bit more. Yeah, one thing that just popped into my uh, my head when you said that how they talk about God and religion and things like that, um, I, I suddenly started thinking about um, the the original Norwegian black metal and people like uh, Varg Vikernes. Oh. Um, yeah, he 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 would he would have made an interesting Bali, um, but but their their uh, take on on uh, Abrahamic, especially Christian religion, uh, the the original Norwegian black metal people, it's it 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 kind it's kind of on the similar track with, with the whole raging against um, against the religion and and uh, and stuff like that. I don't know if you if you agree with the with might be something like that yeah yeah I, I can see kind of what you mean and especially if if you drop the whole being a, a church burning murderer and not see that Varg Vikernes is uh, the fucking asshat then yeah. uh then then yeah I can kind of see what we there, there are a lot more uh, good actual or 
proper uh, Norwegian black and death metal that so you don't have to listen to to his shit. Uh, mm. But but yeah, it, I, I kind of get a similar feeling and uh, and 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 that's actually an interesting um, way to look at it uh, because uh, it it gives us a bit more to it. So yeah, yeah, I, I like that. Yeah. Uh, this intro also reintroduces us to the idea of the sleeping beings before God's creation. Mm. Um, and just as with Clan Book Bali, I have to say, I'm not a huge fan of mixing the Abrahamic God with Cthulhu's cosmic mm. horror entities. The explanation from the Clan Book, um, which is nicely expanded on here, does make sense from what one might call a cosmic standpoint. But I would prefer to just stick with uh, God, the Devil, and the Demons of Hell for Dark Ages and... Uh, uh, cosmic horror entities for modern nights rather than mixing it but that is a personal preference it's not something that i'm going to um to say uh detracts anything from the book because uh i know others won't have that problem um yeah 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 i, I kind of feel uh, quite the same because at, at least for me the kind of of especially vampire the masquerade that i played uh it it was the uh, it, it was very much a kind of to, to use uh, a kind of mo modern equivalent, it's it's the more street level uh, Punisher Daredevil down to earth Marvel Cinematic Universe rather than the epic Avenger uh, movies with with like world uh, world level threats being thrown in uh, and and so for me Vampire the Masquerade is is a lot of like people skulking around in in dark alleys and and being in just a single city. Uh, and this kind of brings it to to the almost Thanos level of uh, of threat, uh, which doesn't it doesn't have to be a, a bad thing. But I think that, that I would probably uh, if if I would go with this, uh, I, I would use it as as a completely separate campaign. And as you mentioned, it, there, it, it is basically a lot of the great old ones being thrown in, uh, which is is a really cool mythos and i like the take on it that that's kind of what uh, what the bali uh, bali are doing uh, more or less trying to fend off the uh, the great old ones from awakening and um, ba basically keeping them entertained with with all of their uh, hedonistic and sadistic uh, games that they're they're playing uh, which i i really like as as a take on it but uh, it's it's probably not something that I would want in in like my everyday uh, intriguing uh, vampire game, so to speak. So uh, so it, yeah, it's 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 a cool take on it, but it's it's not a kind of of vampire uh, the masquerade that I personally uh, is used to. No. Um... This book also introduces the worm and worm allies, such as Black Spiral Dancers, Fomori, Goblin Spiders, as well as others, what you could call maybe objectively evil beings from the world of darkness. Mm. Uh, like I mentioned before, I generally don't like crossing over the various game lines, but uh, I know a lot of people do, and I think they make it work here. They have some, some interesting uh, stuff, uh, including a sidebar on uh, whose top dog the worm mm. or the sleeping children and yeah. how it depends on what kind of, of game you're playing. So from that standpoint, I think they do a really good job of integrating these things into the book. 
Yeah, yeah, I agree with that. And uh, it was one of the things that I was going to mention as well, is that if it's good if you want to include uh, everything and your kitchen sink in it so that you actually have it presented to you, like, okay, this is... It, it's been very well thought through that, like, okay, this is the the relationship between the 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 room and uh, uh, the the sleeping uh, children. Uh, so, so yeah, I I like the the fact that they included it. Uh, I wouldn't necessarily uh, use it myself in my game, but if I wanted to, it's there, and that's always nice to have. Um, yeah, I I also wanted to point out that there there are a lot of of things. Uh, that are quite inspiring. So just for example, on, on page 19, uh, they, uh, it's, it's basically a, a list of uh, some of the, or they're, they're listing, they're naming a few of the sleeping children. And, mm. uh, and some of them, the names are just really inspiring. Like you, you have um, weird uh, Nistarim, uh, Metiathax, Bothothol, uh, Mary the Black, Xabus Glass, uh, Saint Belfogor the Smiling, Red Sunlight of Lustful House, which are just, I, I want to know who these people are, uh, or perhaps I don't, but again, the, the, the names are, are really evocative, and uh, and and for me, it's it's a sign, uh, it's a good sign, where if you just mention something, and uh, and I'm intrigued by it, and I want to know more. That's that's a good thing in my book. So it's a really well done to to uh, to the authors on that one. Yeah, um, the following chapter is various bloodlines, and um, I like these. I think they're well written. They have nice concepts, and they give you some cool options for varying the barley. Though <laughs> I have to say, I kind of wonder, given that the barley are not the most numerous vampires out there how many members each bloodline can actually have yeah i was i was thinking very much the same and and of course this goes back to the to the whole uh, everything and their grandmother is, is supernatural but uh, if if you want to kind of like step up your your vampire games to to a more uh, avengers level uh, threat level uh, so to speak then then you do have the place for for more barley uh, and, yeah. and different kinds of barley as well. And and uh, again, if if you're uh, when I read through this, I I'm kind of more interested in uh, either kind of uh, playing or making a game out of it where where the player characters are are mortals and and they're trying to stop the barley. So basically, it's it's a Call of Cthulhu investigator game but set in in the world of darkness with the Bali as, as the great um, the, the great evil uh, needing to be stopped uh, or or perhaps you can do that the Bali are actually the the most numerous clans and uh, that are working on this kind of like the, the bigger uh, more cosmic levels while as the the petty Camarilla and the Sabbath are just fighting their their silly little games over who can control which mortal city. Uh, so, so you could change it around, and again, just the fact that this book inspired me to to think of that is something really, really good. So, yeah. again, points for that. Yeah, 
Um, yeah, I think there's some really cool ideas in in the various bloodlines. One thing that uh, that I read and thought, okay, this is really amazing. There's one bloodline that's called the Chernobog bloodline, mm. uh, which was started by converted Nosferatu. They are no longer inhumanly ugly, but when they feed, they drain the looks of those they feed on along with their blood. And I just thought this was really inventive and actually quite disturbing. So so that's the one thing I want to take away from these bloodlines. That that particular weakness was just, ooh, that's nice. That's really nice. Yeah, yeah, I agree with that. Uh... Right, so um, after the bloodlines, we get what everyone wants, which is disciplines. <laughs> <laughs> um, we have two dark thematogy, um, uh paths, and then we have two disciplines that work quite differently from how disciplines normally work uh yeah it's uh so so basically you have the uh corrupturum and uh what's i'm not even going to try to pronounce the, the other one the yogiku was that <laughs> something like something that like I, I, which which is i i don't know is uh, and uh yigoku sorry my bad uh so Basically, what it does is that each level of uh, Corrupturum, for example, uh, allows you to to get one uh, special power called a terror, and you have a bunch of, of different terrors. Uh, and these terrors can be swapped out every time the dam- damned gains another level of any discipline. Uh, so it's for those of you who are familiar with um, with Dungeons and Dragons Fifth Edition and and how certain classes can switch out their uh, their spells when they level up, uh, it's it's kind of the same that you you have uh, you have this power and perhaps it's not as useful anymore or or you just want something different and then you can switch it switch it out, which uh, is a system that I really like in D and D because some powers are really useful in some settings and uh, are more more powerful. Uh, at at lower levels, for example, but when you um, when your game advances, you don't really need some of them anymore, and it's it's kind of uh, it's kind of boring to be stuck with with a power that you will never use and you can never mm. get rid of. So so it it's an interesting take on it. Um, but what what did you think of of the actual? If we start with the terrors, for example, what what do you think of it? Um, I think it was really inventive. Uh, you know, it makes for great optimization options but there is a lot of these terrors to get through um and what i one thing that i i I like you know is that they do a really good job of explaining and specifying how certain powers work you mentioned that one of them required almost a page of explanation which may be going a bit overboard but um sometimes you can get the the feeling when you read um quote-unquote official uh, vampire books that some powers you look at them you go okay but how exactly does this work and some people are okay with with saying well we'll we'll figure it out when it comes along but I'm okay, I actually like that that they take time in some cases to clear up what might be uh, some uncertainties and they talk about it I think overall this whole thing with with terrors it um, it's it's a cool and different take for it that allows for customization and there are there are some really inventive um, powers in this whole um, terror tree it, it th- this this way of doing it gave me actually a bit of an exalted vibe maybe with uh, yeah. with yeah. the various charms there and in fact, the whole book, in some of the ways, they talk uh, when they are talking on a cosmic scale 
uh, gave me exalted vibes. But this, especially this power, or these two disciplines. Um, so I, th I think it's it's a cool way of of going about disciplines in a different way, and especially. Uh, I mean, I've talked about this before. If you want to use the Bali as antagonist, mm, this yeah. is a really good way of ensuring that the characters don't know what's what's uh, coming at them. Yeah, I, I agree with that. And uh, like you said, some of the the terrors are are really interesting, uh, and but but some of them I feel could basically be just just role playing and narration. Like for example, you you have one. Uh, where it's called, I think it's called Fling the Insolent Ragdoll, which is basically you, you can grab someone by the neck and, and throw them uh, quite far, depending yeah, on, on yeah. how you much, can do that with uh, how many successes well. you are. And, and I was kind of thinking like, well, can't most vampires already do that? Because it's yeah. it's, it's more or less a trope uh, in this setting. So so it's it's a bit hit and miss, but when when it's good, the, the terrors are, are really good and interesting. And and sometimes creepy and yucky and everything that you want from from Bali powers. Uh, yeah. And and while we're speaking of this, um, and they they mentioned it, like a lot of these powers are uh, quite adult, so to speak. It's it's about torture and and violation of of flesh and stuff like that, uh, which is why the authors have included. Uh, a sidebar called a brief word on character helplessness and player consent where they basically uh, they dedicate a, a whole page uh, of basically saying that um, and i'm quoting now do not vicariously rape your players like don't take player agency away from um, or character agency away from from your players and if if the player says no then no means no no yeah. matter what and and i really exactly. like that in it's um, I, I can see why they put it uh, in this section uh, where they talk about a lot of these powers that can that can do this to characters. Uh, I wouldn't have minded seeing this as more or less the opening uh, right after the introduction uh, because it's it's something really important and uh, I, I do uh, really like that that authors uh, took the time and, and put this in because it's uh, it's something that, no, no player should feel uncomfortable uh, playing a game, even if it's a game about uh, hedonistic, sadistic uh, Bali uh, vampires. So yeah, yeah, good on you. Exactly, because I, I have seen uh, on online people saying this is the world of darkness, and some of them would probably say this is the world of darkness, and we're dealing with Bali. People should expect this. No, 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 no. Uh, you know. You should find a level of playing that everyone is comfortable yeah. with. Um, and if you're going to introduce this, you need to be aware of um, of you know what your players of are are willing to put up with. I mean, if if you've played like I have with with players for um, more than ten years, you probably have an idea of of where their uh, limits are and what the, what they want. But if, if it's a relatively new group, there's nothing wrong with setting up some kind of social contract or at least just discussing boundaries. Because in the end, we, we're, we're doing this because we think it's entertaining. Yeah. So. D&D uh, &D 5e, uh, they, uh, they came up, or I don't know if they came up with the concept, but, but they talk a lot, a lot about it in, 
they, they call it the session zero, which is basically the the before you actually start playing your characters. You you and you can do it this during character creation, and you can do it this whenever. But you basically uh, the the players and the storyteller or dungeon master sits down and and basically comes up with with the limitations and expectations of the game. Like, is this supposed to be a silly swashbuckling game? Is this supposed to be backstabs and intrigues or and and what kind of level of uh, player versus player um, feuds are we comfortable with and and what kind of themes are we comfortable with so uh, so that that's something to really take away that like talk with your players and your storyteller to to make sure that everyone uh, is comfortable with with the things they're doing uh, because it it doesn't always have to be the storyteller uh, afflicting stuff upon the players. It could easily be that a player all of a sudden wants to do something that the the storyteller isn't comfortable narrating, for example. So uh, it, it yeah, or or ways. interplayer stuff. Like if you have one player who decides, well, my character uh, is beginning to fall in love with another character, so I'm going to start try to uh, try to seduce them. The player should probably really have a talk before their characters start interacting with this yeah. in this way so um so yeah that that's you know a good good thing to put that in and something that's well worth remembering um yeah uh, there's also combo disciplines but i don't know if you have anything more to to say about these various uh disciplines before we move on uh no it's uh from from uh, the, this particular one or, or disciplines in general uh, disciplines in general. Uh, yeah, there's uh, I, there's one. Uh, I just need to find it. Uh, there's uh, again the and and that's the one that had um, um, the uh, where you needed an, an entire page of of explanation for just yeah. one. And it's uh, it's a dark thematurgy path. Uh, called Swift Whisper of, of Moloch's Wings, yeah. where it's it's basically a lot of, of owl-based uh, powers, and and some of them are, are really cool. Um, like for example, you can you can turn yourself in into a, a flock of uh, of owls, uh, and and I I really like them. And I uh, some of it is illusion magic basically, and some of it isn't, uh, and. I'm thinking of, of using some of it for, for my D&D game, like kind of how it works that, uh, for example, the first level one is that it looks like there's that like you're just an owl doing it's It's basically obfuscate is that you um, people watching you kind of uh, uh, justify what they're seeing. Like uh, if, if you're walking down the street, they will see an owl flying down the street. Or if you're talking uh, into a telephone, they will see an owl and hear... Uh, um, phone conversation somewhere in the vicinity, uh, which which is kind of cool. Um, and but some of it, when when you kind of turn into an owl-like creature, I I kind of got his kind of of almost Batman uh, vibes to it, especially the Christopher Nolan ones, where where um, and especially where in in the one where uh, Scarecrow has his uh, oh gas, yeah, where where so he turns into an actual Batman. And and I I kind of got the same vibe from uh, from some of these powers. It's like instead of turning into a, to a, a flock of bats, you turn into a, a bunch of, of uh, uh, owls flying away. 
so, so again, it's it's really thematic, and it's I, I don't know if it's supposed to invoke the image of Batman, but that's how my weird and sometimes sleep depraved depraved mind works. Uh, so, so yeah, sleep it, it deprived was a, or sleep depraved. Both of them both work of them, for you. I would say de- depends on how <laughs> sleep deprived I am. I will become sleep depraved. And I, I was I was staying up rereading this, listening to to uh, Black Sabbath's first album last night. So it might might have been oh. that. Uh, for I was those listening of you who to... haven't heard Black Sabbath's first album, you you have missed out on a lot of things. Uh, I was I was listening to uh, Nano War of Steel's uh, Norwegian reggaeton while uh, <laughs> watching uh, while reading this, so I got kind of a dip- different vibe. <laughs> though uh, though there was corpse paint and everything. Oh yeah, of course there were. Uh, <laughs> so so but yeah, it's it's it, that was a cool power and I I really liked it. Uh, yeah, uh, we end the chapter with combo disciplines. Uh, and once again, there are a lot of them to go through. And at this point, I think the writers might have gone a bit overboard. It's clear that they had a lot of ideas and it's all very well written, uh, especially from a game technical standpoint. But I felt burned out after going through the discipl- uh, the, the previous disciplines. I was just like, I, I can't read any, any more disciplines. Uh, but you can't say you don't get value for money. Uh, and, and, you know, it's just, it's something that I need to uh, to to go back to and read again because by then my head was was filled with all these uh, all these discipline things so uh, so that was that was a bit uh, unfortunate i think yeah and and i think that they they kind of make a or they do make a point of it that that it's supposed to be and they call it build a blasphemy workshop where you mm. have one discipline where you got the terrors and the yigoku where you got the horror uh, powers, which is basically the same thing, just a bit different, and and it's they yeah, make more a physical of, and more visceral. Yeah, exactly, and and it's they they make a point of it. It's being like, okay, this is a pick and choose, and and uh, it's up to you to figure out how how many different combinations you can can come up with and what you can do with it. So so uh, in in that way, yeah, I, I can see where where they're going for, and um, it's an interesting take on it, but. Like you said as well, that there's a lot of it, and if if you're not really interested in that sort of thing, uh, then then you might get a headache. Yeah, it's like once again going back to Exalted. If you've ever tried to build, especially in Second Edition, when you had all the books, if you're trying to build an Exalted uh, character and and trying to pick out your charms and everything. Sometimes you just get get overload, but it does allow uh, for the creation of some truly unique characters, and that alone is is worth quite a lot, I think. Yeah. Um, so the next chapter looks at paths of enlightenment, and I really like that they don't retread old ground by looking at already established paths, but they give us new ones instead. Specifically, four paths inspired by the four horsemen of the apocalypse, and one what you might call unified path of revelations. What did you think of the paths? Uh, I I like them. Uh, I I just need to point out that they use the phrase "kill your ass" uh, at one point, uh, which again it goes back to a bit of the the kind of uh, silly look at me. I'm a teenager kind of thing. That should it have been "kill your donkey." Uh, no, it, <laughs> probably Sorry. that as well. But but yeah, it's 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 a bit of. The, the the tone for the book kind of goes back and forth between this, like the very visceral and and 
disgusting in a good way uh, and and horrible kind of thing and and then you get this this bit more puerile or juvenile kind of like oh yeah no, what now look we're throwing poo at each other kind of thing but but actually the roads i i really like that it, it has an interesting take on it um some of them are uh again it's i i would i would love to see if 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 you have a an entire coterie or choir of of bali if if you have um one from uh, or at least one from from each road and how they would interact with each other um yeah i i have to say again as as kind of a music aficionado uh there are as as usual in these kind of books there are, are quotes from uh from different places kind of try, like setting the uh the the tone for for the road and so uh, and at the road of death, I would have loved if they had quoted Bruce Springsteen's Atlantic City because everything oh, dies with yeah. and that's a fact. Uh, so, so yeah, but it's it's just my um, <laughs> my enjoyment of of Bruce Springsteen and his music. Uh, but yeah, I think Atlantic City is probably one of his more underrated songs. I really really like that one. Yeah. So, uh, but but again, you you can't have everything and. Uh, and if, if you don't like Bruce Springsteen, well, you're wrong, but it, it's, it's your right to uh, to be wrong. Uh, but yeah, the, the, the roads are, are well written and they have, especially which I think is usually one of the main problems with roads, is the hierarchy of sins and how those can actually be used um, or, or rather usable at all in some cases. Mm. Yeah, in exactly. Game, because sometimes you have... Uh, a scene at a very low level that conflicts with something on a higher level and sometimes you think that shouldn't these two be switched out and if I do this you more or less contradict another one and in, in one way I can see that yeah a lot of, of like faiths and and morals Systems of morality contradic- uh, contradictory but it's it feels weird when you put actual rules to them uh, but in this case they, they are they they work and they are very thematic and I like them. Yeah, um, I I think it's a really cool concept that is very well executed. It's like sometimes you get a cool concept that isn't well executed, but in this case you have the concept of the four horsemen uh, and the revelations, and they've executed it really well. Like you said, the the hierarchy of sins work. Um, there is a, a sidebar on page 106 where I kind of laughed. Uh, it's about Saint Belphegor the Smiling, who is supposedly the um, uh, the inventor of of these paths. Mm. And um, it says she is an ex Malkavian Bali. Um, and then from the 1300s onwards, she cocooned herself several times in a variety of convents yeah. scattered across <laughs> Europe. Yes, 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 we have another vampire in the convents. Yes. Yes. <laughs> it was just when I read that, I, I just I laughed because yeah, we're going back to uh, to one of our things. Good so old, score monks and nuns being vampires. Yeah, it's yeah, yeah. I, yeah. I, score I score one more for uh, for our filling up the convents with uh, with vampires. Yeah. Um, <laughs> not, not only not only vampires, mind you. There were mentionings of ghosts in the comments as well. So, oh yeah, yeah, true. Um, now, uh, I'm I'm really looking forward to when we get to second edition Dark Ages and the various um, uh, mage and werewolf and things like that to see how many of those are going to be in convents yeah. as well. Um, 
Anyway, um, the next is the obligatory merits and flaws. And once again, there are quite a few, but I think they are very well executed. And I didn't get an overload here. One that I really, really liked was the Curse of Saulot flaw that gives the character the clan weakness of one of the Salubri casts. And uh, this is really appropriate if you want to go with the idea that Saulot created the Bali and the accompanying sidebar, they have a lot of sidebars, that speculates on why Saulot might have created the Bali. This is really one of my favorite bits in the book. It gives a whole new perspective on the whole deal that really made me go, hey, this is great. This is something that I really want to, to run with at some point. Yeah, and I, I agree that uh, overall the, the merits and flaws are, are nicely done and well written. Uh, and some of them are really powerful and some of them are, the flaws of course, are really horrible that, that they they actually feel like flaws. Uh, yeah. And I, I, I like it if... Um, because I feel that if, if you're going all out to to play, especially if, if you play you, uh, a, a whole chronicle where everyone uh, plays a Bali, then then I feel that that you would want these really flawed, probably very very powerful characters. Because uh, like we touched upon, some of the uh, not only the combination uh, disciplines but the disciplines in general are are really powerful. Uh, and I, I like it when when you have powerful but flawed characters, so so that that you can kind of feel that, like why they want to do all the hedonistic things because they know that yeah if if they do find if my enemies do find my weakness then I'm gonna be fucked, but yeah. I'm I'm going to be uh, such such an asshole and pain in the neck and and destroy their lives if they even try that. That no one else will, will want to. Uh, so so yeah, that's that's a really good thing. Um, and and what I like is that they have uh, these kind of opposites between the merits and flaws. So you have like um, what uh, need to find them where where basically you you feel or you consider yourself um, uh, an honorable uh, warrior or fighter. So you don't want to. Um, so so you you really can't kill certain enemies that are found worthy uh, and and that's actually a merit in and but then they have the opposite uh, where you you can't kill uh, certain other unworthy uh, opponents so so you have like the same aspect or yeah the, the two sides of the same coin basically um, mm. which which I really like uh, that that you can you can never really be be certain if if something is is good or bad, basically. Um, so uh, so yeah, it's um, it's oh my bad. You you uh, yeah you you can't kill certain enemies because you either basically you pity them or you you enjoy fighting them too much to destroy them. <laughs> uh, so uh, so yeah, it, nicely done, well done. Uh, the, the particular ones are called uh, Merit is, is the Warrior of Hell and the Floor is Abel's Ward. Uh, yeah. And, and thematic as well. So, yeah, good job. Yeah. And speaking of, of cool sidebars that have great ideas, there is a one-point flaw that, that means that you will be visibly pained if somebody uh, speaks a sacred name in a non-blasphemous manner. So, for example, if, if someone goes... Mm. Jesus Christ, touchdown, yeah. nothing happens. Yeah. But if someone actually says, 
Jesus Christ, help me. You yeah. will flinch. And then there's a sidebar that is just, especially for someone who likes the, the Tzmish like I do, awesome, where you have um, a, a situation where a Tzmish uh, spoke um, the uh, the name of uh, their holy uh, quest of, uh, endgame for the met- metamorphosis mm. in the presence of a barley with this floor and the barley flinched. And so uh, a, a, the, the scientifically minded Simish uh, began to realize that this, uh, this barley would uh, f- uh, flinch when, um, when a holy name was spoken and would hurt himself when he was forced to speak a holy name. So he basically uh, it ha- has him imprisoned and uh, what is it? Yeah, yeah, it's going um, to brute force the, the force. combination of the true name of God. Um. Yeah, uh, there's, there's, uh, there is uh, this, this. Um, uh, Tzmish has found out that the true name of God will contain precisely thirty-six characters. Uh, that's some kind of apocryphal um, story that I, I can't remember where it's from, but I, I think it's, it's actually in, mm, in some yeah. kind of. A, apocrypha or or ancient lore um so so uh basically it's uh he's he's yeah he's trying to get him to say every single combination of sounds with these 36 characters and i mean i could we we're playing um transylvania chronicles my uh, my, uh, my sister's brother is playing at sumish and this is something i could see him do yeah this yeah. character it it just and I hadn't really thought about that, and just reading that was like, "Whoa! This is this is a cool idea that is well executed, and actually doesn't feel uh, at all silly." I mean, just imagine being the poor uh, Bali being forced to do this. Yeah. But just also, it 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 helps you um, understand some of the inhumanity of the Tsumish and. Uh, I, I need to show the sidebar to my uh, to my brother-in-law because he <laughs> yeah. would he would love this. That would that would help him uh, even more with portraying his Tsimish. So kudos for that sidebar as well. Yeah, I I saw I saw that one as well, and and the the actual story and the description is is really nice. But again, we we have this. Uh, they they've actually written out the number of of how oh, yeah. many. <laughs> How many different or how many potential names it has, and and it's it's just math, and it's it it, it takes up almost one and a half uh, rows of, of text, just just the number of it, and and I because first it says that it's it's uh, thirty six to the fifty third power, um, a number of of the combinations, and then they write it out, and I kind of figured out that it's it's a huge number anyways yeah uh, yeah so i i really don't need that extra because there's no way that anyone is even going to be able to to pronounce that or read out that actual number and then it goes a bit further and saying talking about how many syllables you can speak per second and how many seconds there are in a year and, and stuff like that and and i felt that if you would have just stopped after uh Telling the story about his poor Bali being stuck in the basement of of a uh, inhuman Simish, uh, forcing them to to uh, basically go zero zero one no zero zero two <laughs> and, and so on. It it would have been a lot better 
um, it it would work. It, it it would just be a, a better story, so to speak. But that, that's just a personal opinion. If if you like this kind of stuff, it's it's excellent for you. Yeah. Uh, we then have a chapter on selling your soul for fun and profit, though mainly profit. Mm. I really like this chapter. I think it gave a good take on the whole Faustian deal. Mm. I am not okay with someone making a deal for the Bucks to win the Super Bowl, but by the time <laughs> this goes out, we'll see if it worked. Uh, I act, I thought that was really fun because this book was obviously written before the current uh, American football playoffs. Oh, yeah. And as uh, as we are recording this, is it, it is the day before the Super Bowl and the Tampa Bay Buccaneers are in the Super Bowl with a chance to win. So I don't know if the, the people writing this are just really good at predicting uh, football or if it's just a complete coincidence. Mm. Um, but I, I, I hope that whoever uh, tried to sell a soul for that didn't make the deal because I'm rooting for the other team. Anyway. Well, you, you can always make a counter deal, you know. Yeah, it, <laughs> but it's not my team that's in the Super Bowl. Oh, so okay, yeah. I, I, I won't be willing to sell my soul for the... For the for the chiefs. Um, anyway, I know that having a system for selling yourself to Satan isn't for everyone. Some people might prefer to keep it loose without rules, just in story-wise. But I could definitely see myself using this uh, in both a modern and dark ages game yeah. to tempt player characters or to build interesting and challenging antagonists both mortal or otherwise, so it is uh, two thumbs up for me. Yeah, I, I like the fact that it's not only for... Uh, first of all, it's not only Satan, it's a bunch of other creatures yeah, as well, which, true, which true. is a nice touch. Uh, and and also that it's it's not only um, vampires that is uh, that are able to do this, but, but also... Yeah. Uh, it actually starts out with mortal uh, infernalists, mm. which, which is very nice. And, and again, if you want to make this kind of... Cthulhu-esque game uh, where where people are selling their souls perhaps to stop a, a bigger evil sacrificing themselves in the process. It's it's very useful. Uh, and and again, having actual rules for it can be useful if like if if a player all of a sudden comes up with yeah yeah I, I want to do this I want to sell my soul and uh, or I want to make a deal with this uh, with this entity. In if if you're a storyteller that hasn't prepared for that or and and you can't uh, think of anything just on your off your feet at the moment then it's it's really good to have like yeah just let me flip through the uh, example um, example contracts and see which one you need to sign um, yeah which which is really nice uh, and and there are a lot of different ones it's not just for um, for for wealthy powers like you can you can get monies and you can get fame and and there are different stuff that you can use, uh, and uh, yeah, so so it, it's a lot of it's it's uh, it's a lot of variation. It's it's not just a lot of stuff. It's a lot of variation. It's and it's a lot of useful uh, variation, um, and it's also includes a kind of interesting um, and an intermission um, on on how this could work, which is basically yeah. about a, a vampires selling their soul, and. I, I like it and it's it's really nicely written uh, but again I'm, I'm not going to read it or spoil it or anything but I feel that if if they would have just uh, excluded the last sentence and finishing the story with with the kind of artsy fin then it, it would have been a lot better because especially that that fin the end it, it just looks out of place in it but, but yeah i really like the story in it in and of itself mm. 
Um, so from there, we move on to a short chapter on Unholy Relic. And I do love me some magical items. Uh, what about you? Yeah, uh, I, I liked one. And, and again, you can you can build um, an entire chronicle around just someone finding one of these and how it would um, um, inflict or um, uh, affect the, the entire vampiric society. Um, kind of like for those who, who read the clan novels when they came out uh, and um, was it whose eye was it that everyone was trying to get? Eye of Hasimel? Yeah, Eye of Hasimel. That yeah, that's that's it. So, um, so, so you can kind of and and that was a very powerful artifact that corrupted the hell out of of the person who got it uh, mm. and and caused a lot of troubles. And I could see any one of these artifacts probably perhaps one of the more powerful could have more influence but but just having an artifact that is it's it's basically a leaking nuclear weapon you can use it to 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 cause a lot of things that are good for you or at least increases your your power but at the same time you're going to be fucked up while you're doing it yeah i mean there's a reason why MacGuffin stories uh come up again and again and again and why they work uh so so having you know something like uh like this to act as the MacGuffin mm -hmm. uh for those of you who don't know what a MacGuffin is look it up on Wikipedia you can get a, a good explanation there yeah. um it just it it really works um and and uh like like you said these are not um just items that you can go okay we'll we'll introduce them they are they are items that uh, sessions or stories will revolve around where you can craft something really cool by using them uh, either as something you look for or something that you've gotten your hands on and begin to wonder should I actually use this yeah exactly uh, and and there is one that I, I do like that it's it's not just um, kind of kind of like these old ancient religious relics but for example you you have uh, a high quality ballpoint pen uh, yeah. <laughs> which, which you can use to, to uh, sign very legally, very binding contracts, which, which is, again, it's, it's just a modern touch to it. And, uh, uh, and, and it's, it's nice that you, you kind of have the, the highs and lows, the really epic things and uh, the more everyday items as well. Yeah. Um, we end with a chapter filled with NPCs, some of them vampires, some not. I am fairly certain that most, if not all, of the pictures uh, in this section is by Luis Miquez, who is an artist that um, that sells art packs, character art packs, on the vault. Um, and I've actually I've bought uh, the ones they have for Dark Ages and have begun using them on my vault, mm. um, on my vault books. And uh, the Dark Ages ones that you've done are really really cool. Um, anyway. Uh, there, um, there are a lot of characters here. Maybe too many, given that the Bali is not the biggest bloodline. However, if you're a storyteller, you do get a ton of interesting ex uh, NPCs with cool story hooks. So me personally, I, I like this chapter. Yeah, I, I did as well. And, and especially since not all of them are uh, Bali or even vampires, you can mm. use them in in other ways or in other games as well, and, and you can sprinkle them in, into your own campaign. 
uh, yeah, overall, I, I like them, and uh, there's and I, I will probably come back to this if I don't forget it when we do the wrap-up, but what, what I do like is that uh, some of them are, like, the really ancient, been around for a long, long time, and stole many man's soul and fate, uh, and some <laughs> of them are, are very modern and, and kind of like, yeah, how, how would someone who wants to, uh, to, to steal people's souls work nowadays well you you can become an influencer or or an uh, or, or start a record company where you just uh, punch out all these uh, britney spears uh, uh, copies and a new one every year and and they will willingly sell their soul for for likes and monies and uh, and fans so uh, so i like this kind of uh, up-to-date uh, look on it or, or feel of, in, of it that it's it's not just the the old 80s and 90s vampire where we're actually in the 21st century yeah yeah definitely i mean there there is always the um the temptation to make these oh they're old they're powerful they have gone through centuries and done a lot of cool stuff mm. but it's it's sometimes more interesting to see how do you make a really really uh, you know, interesting character who is not that old, who's who's in the modern day, and how can they exploit, like you said, the whole modern day things? Because you're right, people will sell their soul for likes. Yeah, and and it's I I find it actually quite challenging. Like if in it, it was, and it kind of go, goes back to the old cabin in the wood things. It was a lot easier being a, a serial killer or a, a Jason or a Mike Myers or whatever or or a. Uh, Freddy, uh, Freddy Krueger, for that matter, uh, before Wikipedia and cell phones, because it was a lot easier to kind of isolate your your victims and stuff like that. And and I feel that it's it's one of the biggest um, challenges in uh, if, if you want to to set your game in actual today, like how how in in a world with all of this technology and everyone has smartphones with cameras and stuff like that, how do you still uh, keep the feel of this this gothic horror thingy and and even worse when it's the the bali horror and nastiness uh, and i feel that um this uh, these npcs the ones that touch upon it uh, does it in a really nice way that that it actually works uh, bringing that theme and that tone into the modern nights yeah because there is this idea in 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 modern times that you know everyone has an avenue to becoming known, uh, you can be an influencer. You can be um, a, a YouTuber. You can start a podcast about your favorite role-playing game, mm. Uh, mm. whatever. <laughs> so, uh, and and I mean, I'm not saying I would sell my soul to make this the most popular uh, World of Darkness podcast there is. But uh, if a Bali came around to try and tempt me, it's 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 not an unreasonable attempt. You know, to tempt me with. I, I can say uh, that I would probably sell sell your soul, but it it would. You'd have... sell my soul for a Snickers bar. Well, no, I, w- I wouldn't sell your any one soul for a Snickers bar, but I I would sell your soul, but it would have to be a really good offer because you're a really nice friend. Oh, thank you very much. Um, and uh, I I also um, page one seventy seven. The last we have we have two um, uh, Giovanni of the Duncern family. Uh, so it's kind of fun to uh, to read uh, to read that, considering uh, uh, a, a certain LARP that we played together. Oh yeah, yeah, exactly. That's way in the back with. Uh... Oh, 
That is, ah, that's a long time ago. So, um, final thoughts. This book was clearly written by people passionate about the topic with a lot of good idea. Although it's a book for modern vampire, it can easily be used in the Dark Ages, as mentioned a couple of times. Certainly, I, there's things in here that I would use uh, next time I run Dark Ages. If you want to run a game where one or more of the characters are Bali, or if you want to use the Bali as antagonists, I think this book is a great buy. You really get a lot for $12.99. If you just find the Bali interesting, then it's still a good read, and it might give you some ideas for a game. Um, what do you have to say, Peter? Yeah, I've, I've touched upon most of the things that I, I wanted to say. Uh, and, and again, the, the fact that this gives me ideas not only for a vampire game, but for... for uh, Dungeons and Dragons and Call of Cthulhu uh, is is something that the uh, the author should get credit for because it's it's very nicely done and well executed. Um, I've touched upon some of the things that I I didn't like that it's yeah it is 178 pages and I'm thinking that it wouldn't necessarily need to be that long uh, and and still have all of the good stuff in it. Uh, so, so perhaps a bit more touching up and a bit more editing to to make it cleaner and and easier to read in some places. Uh, but that's that's not really a, a something that is is wrong with actual content. It's just a bit on how it's presented. Um, and again, I, I wanted to mention uh, <laughs> what I already just mentioned and and the fact that they have managed to to bring some of it up to. To modern times uh, in a way that still uh, keeps the the flavor of of uh, the the vampire games of my youth uh, is uh, is something that I really do like. Uh, so so yeah, thumbs up for from me, me as well. Yeah. So uh, that is all from side quests for this week. Unless you have any final comments, uh, not really. Uh, I, I again want to thank the authors for for sending this book to us so that we could review it, and I hope that they take everything uh, that we've said as constructive criticism because that is all that it was intended to do. Exactly. Uh, I just want to say if there's anybody else out there uh, writing for the Storytellers Vault who wants to send us review copies, we are more than happy to uh, review it. Um, especially, obviously, Dark Ages, because that is our uh, main focus. But as you've seen here, we're willing to do Modern Day as well. Uh, Werewolf as well. Uh, I don't consider myself knowledgeable. knowledgeable. Huh, that's an interesting word to try and pronounce, <laughs> apparently. Knowledgeable enough about modern-day uh, vampire, sorry, uh, mage or wraith that I would be able to review a book. Changeling I could probably do, though I might want to call in our friend Miggle to uh, to help us there. Um, but yeah, if you if you have any books you uh, you want us to take a look at, feel free to to send them this way. So. Next Friday, it is going to be a good one, as we look at Wolves of the Sea, a Viking Age sourcebook for Dark Ages. Trust me, you don't want to miss this. But for now, my name is Jacob. And I'm Peter. Farewell, and see you next time. Bye.